0: Uh, the sermon passage for this morning uh, is from Genesis chapter 16. I've requested Saritha to read the passage uh, for us.
1: Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me... Be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarai, "Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please." Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, a spring on the way to Shur, and he said, "Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going?" He shall be a white donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Ber Lahai Ber. It lies between Kadesh and Ber. And Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was
0: 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Amen. This is the precious word of the Lord. We're kicking off a three-part sermon series uh, on this chapter, Genesis chapter 16. And uh, the sermon series is uncomfortably titled, Three Sinners. As is pretty obvious from the passage, Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar were all sinners. They all sinned in different ways. But here's a beautiful thing. God met with each of them individually soon after this chapter, loved them, and transformed them with his grace. And that's what we're going to be looking at uh, for three weeks. Um, in this chapter, we read that Sarah, she was called Sarai, and Abraham was called Abram. We'll, I'm just going to refer to them as Sarah and Abraham. Uh, we read that Sarah couldn't have a child. So she asked her husband, Abraham, to sleep with her servant, Hagar, so she could take that child as her own. Abraham does that, Hagar becomes pregnant, and when she becomes pregnant this trusted servant turns against Sarah and mocks her. Sarah then, in turn, treats a pregnant Hagar cruelly and harshly, so much so that Hagar has no option but to run away. Even one reading of this passage will will tell us that this is one messy, uh, even ugly and, and complicated and sinful family. And yet, among all the families in the world at that point in time, this sinful and messed up family is the one that God chose for Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, to be born into. Jesus descended from the line of Abraham. Uh, For those of you who don't know, that was a theme of a sermon series we preached uh, in New City in a book that I subsequently wrote. Uh, The sermon series and the book were both titled, The Grace of God and the Flaws of Men. That book and that sermon series um, had a very simple central theme. When sin reigns darkest, grace shines brightest. I have to say, it feels good to go back to Genesis uh, after six years. Uh, Today, I want to draw three things out for us from this passage. Hagar and her experience with human authority. Hagar and her experience with Jesus. And how God's grace is greater than our sins and failure. Three things. First, Hagar and her experience with human authority. Hagar and her experience with Jesus. And third, how God's grace is greater than our sins and failure. Let's look at the first thing. Hagar and her experience with human authority. The name Hagar quite literally means forsaken. Hagar was Egyptian. We we don't quite know, the Bible doesn't tell us, how she ended up as a servant in Abraham's household. Perhaps her own people had abandoned her or worse she was sold to abraham we we don't know exactly what happened but we do know that she had no place among her own people we also know that all her life she lived as an outsider being an egyptian there is absolutely no way that she could ever have become an insider in abraham's family so she lived as an outsider in Abraham's clan. And as we look at Hagar this morning, I'd like to draw to your attention a very interesting way to look at these three characters. We're going to look at Hagar today and Abraham and Sarah in the next two weeks. And a very interesting way to look at these three characters. Abraham abandoned his authority. Sarah abused her authority. And Hagar suffered under both. Abraham, in this chapter, abandoned godly authority. His responsibility was to protect not only Sarah, his wife, he also had a God-given responsibility to protect Hagar and all the servants in his household. But he abandoned this authority. If Abraham abandoned authority, Sarah abused her authority. In her hurt and in her jealousy, she turned against a pregnant Hera, Say Hagar." And, and she was mercilessly cruel to her. Hagar, the forsaken one, the outsider, the servant, the one whose body was used and whose child was planned to be taken away from her, suffered both ways. She suffered when Abraham abandoned his authority. And she suffered when Sarah abused her authority. I would imagine we have all suffered, at least to some extent, from both the abuse of authority and the abandonment of authority. Either a father who was too harsh or a father who was too distant. Far too many of us have grown up without a good father. A boss who disowns us at the first mistake. A boss who never stands up for us. Or a boss who is always critical of everything that you do. Authority is often abandoned or abused. And Hagar suffered both ways. Every time we read this chapter, we can't but help feel empathy for Hagar. A slave, a pregnant slave, abused and harassed so much that she is forced to flee into the wilderness, into the desert, knowing fully well that she and her unborn child are very likely to die. Hagar suffered, yes. But we must not forget that she was also a sinner. Don't forget this title of the sermon series is Three Sinners. It is not Two Sinners and a Sufferer. It's Three Sinners. So how was Hagar a sinner? Verse 4 tells us that Hagar, when Hagar became pregnant through Abraham, she looked with contempt on Sarah, her mistress. Uh, the word contempt in the original Hebrew text is exactly the same word that is used for curse. For example, if you look at Leviticus chapter 20 verse 9, this verse says that anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely put to death. So the word curse used in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 9, and the word contempt that's used to describe Hagar's contempt for Sarah is the same Hebrew word, exactly the same Hebrew word. The Hebrew word there is kalal. Hagar cursed Sarah. It was Sarah who took Hagar and gave her into the arms of her husband. But when Hagar became pregnant, she turns against Sarah and she cursed Sarah. What a betrayal. This is not a general curse. This is not general contempt. Hagar's curse and contempt is very specifically directed at Sarah's barrenness. That is why her taunt was so unbearable for Sarah. Hagar in this instant was heartlessly cruel. She she was punching Sarah where it hurts the most. She was punching Sarah in her womb. And so Hagar was not just a sufferer; she was also a sinner. And that is always true of all of us. None of us, none of us are ever only sufferers. We are all always both sinners and sufferers. You know, in difficult times or in times when you're going through hardship or times when we feel wronged, we may wrongly believe that we are all, that we are only sufferers. It may feel like The world is against us. But this reminds us that none of us, none of us are only sufferers. We are all both sinners and sufferers. We have all wronged God and wronged others just as much as anyone else may have wronged us. You know, in this passage, it's not only Sarah who is using Her authority to abuse Hagar. It's not just Sarah who's abusing authority. Actually, Hagar is also abusing authority. The moment she became pregnant in the clan where Sarah was still barren, Hagar had a power that Sarah did not. Maybe she even had a power over Abraham that Sarah did not. And in in cursing Sarah, in treating her with contempt, Hagar abused her power just as much as Sarah abused hers. We are all both sinners and sufferers. And that's the first thing that I wanted to draw out for us. Hagar and her experience with human authority. The second thing we're going to look at from this chapter is Hagar and her experience with Jesus. Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar were all sinners, three sinners as we've been seeing. And and the most beautiful thing here is that Jesus visits, loves on, and transforms all three sinners. Jesus visits Hagar in this chapter, Genesis chapter 16, we're going to be looking at it. Jesus visits Abraham in the next chapter, Genesis chapter 7. And then in Genesis chapter 18, Jesus visits Abraham again and specifically asks to speak with Sarah. We're going to see that in the coming weeks. You know what is even more beautiful here? All three have sinned, and Jesus visits all three, but it is Hagar, the forsaken slave, that Jesus chooses to visit first. Hang on a minute. Jesus wasn't even born yet. Jesus was born only 2,000 years ago, and this this happened, I think, if I remember, 1,500, 2,000 years before Jesus was born. So if Jesus hasn't yet been born, how can I say that Jesus was visiting Hagar? How can I say Jesus visited Hagar? Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. Most Bible commentators agree that in the Old Testament, whenever the Old Testament refers to the angel of the Lord, it is referring to the pre-incarnate Christ. Every reference, go back and study, every reference to the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, is a direct reference to the pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus was born as a man only 2,000 years ago, but Jesus is God who existed from eternity. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. It, it was the pre-incarnate Christ who visited Hagar. Jesus found Hagar, Jesus saw Hagar, Jesus heard Hagar's affliction. And so in Jesus' encounter with Hagar, I want to quickly draw two things. Jesus did three things, and Jesus said three things. Jesus did three things to Hagar, and Jesus said three things to Hagar. We're going to quickly look at all three. First, three things Jesus did. First, was 7. Jesus found Hagar. If you read the passage, Hagar was not seeking Jesus. She was not looking for him. She was on her way to the desert. Maybe she was going back to Egypt. She was not looking for Jesus, but Jesus came looking for her. Sometimes this is us in our distress. In our distress, we don't look to Christ. We try and find solutions. We move toward things that we can fix. And Jesus comes looking for us just as he came looking for Hagar. That's the first thing. Jesus found Hagar. Second, Jesus saw her. Verse 13. You are the God of seeing, Hagar said. Truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Hagar said, Jesus... Is the God who sees me. Hagar felt seen by the God of the universe. That's the second thing Jesus did to Hagar. He saw her. Third, Jesus heard her affliction. That's in verse 11. You know, this verse does not say Jesus heard Hagar's prayer in her affliction. Hagar never prayed. It is not the prayer of affliction that Jesus heard. Jesus heard Hagar's affliction. He is the God of compassion. So Jesus found her, Jesus saw her, and Jesus heard her. Those were three things that Jesus did. Right here in this chapter, Jesus also told Hagar three things. And all three things are extremely surprising. It's not what you would expect Jesus to say. Three things Jesus told Hagar. Excuse me. The first thing that Jesus told Hagar is this, verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. And verse 8, and Jesus said, the angel of the Lord here, and Jesus said, Hagar... Servant of Sarai. The first thing Jesus tells Hagar is Hagar, servant of Sarai. Did did Jesus just call Hagar servant of Sarah? Seriously? Isn't this so insensitive? Did Jesus just identify Hagar as servant of Sarah? Isn't this rubbing it in? In this context, being a servant of Sarah, Hagar, Jesus is reminding Hagar, Jesus is reminding Hagar that being a servant of Sarah was not a curse. It was a blessing because this was God's sovereign plan for Hagar. Without Sarah, Hagar would have lived and died and unknown Egyptian. But because of Abraham and Sarah, in God's sovereign plan, Hagar receives right here an incredible blessing from God. Look at verse 10. The angel of the Lord also said, Jesus also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. In those days, in that culture, there was no greater blessing than to have a multitude of offspring. That was the greatest blessing of that time. And so for Hagar, God's blessing flowed through Sarah's curse. And this is so relevant to us. In every hardship, we cry out, why God? Why did you allow this? Where are you? But just as God named Hagar as Sarah's servant, God allows hardship into our lives because often he is bringing blessing into our lives through that hardship. In Christ, in Christ, God is using every hardship to bless us. The heart of Christ, the compassion of Christ. There's no way God is going to allow hardship into our life without a reason. And the only reason God allows hardship is to discipline us or to bless us. And discipline, the discipline of God is blessing in itself. And so, Jesus blesses Hagar. Uh, He says you will be, you will have a multitude of offspring. And Jesus continues blessing Hagar. And in that, in, the, in continuing to blessing Hagar, he says the second surprising thing. We just read verse 9 and 10. Allow me to continue reading that verse 11. And the angel of the Lord, that's Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Behold, you are pregnant. You shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Verse 12. And he shall be a wild donkey of a man. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against, over against all his kinsmen. Hang on a minute. Wild donkey of a man. How would you like that for a blessing? You'll have a son and he will be a wild donkey of a man. What kind of a blessing is this? You know, this verse has been very misunderstood let me try and explain what it really means in those days a wild donkey is like a wild horse the difference between a wild horse and a tamed horse is a wild horse is free the difference between a wild donkey and a tamed donkey is a wild donkey is free free to roam free to walk the earth Free from the burden that men put on donkeys' back. When Jesus says, your son shall be like a wild donkey, it's not an insult, it's a blessing. What Jesus is telling Hagar is, you will not be under the bondage of Abraham's clan. Ishmael will not live under the, under the burden of being Abraham's clan. He will be free." And the second part of the verse, over against his kinsmen, that just means that he will be, his hand will be against. All that means he will be separate from Abraham's kinsmen. He will be a, a separate nation. You see, in Abraham's household, Hagar's son Ishmael would always have been a second class citizen. He would have been nothing more ever in his life. He would have been nothing more than the child of a concubine. The child of a servant Abraham slept with. He would have never been anything more than that. And so God is creating space for Hagar's son Ishmael to flourish in his own right. And Ishmael is considered to be the ancestor of Arabs. And a lot of mi- people misinterpret this verse this wild dog of a man, his hand against others. A lot, a lot of people misinterpret that verse to say that's why Arabs keep fighting against each other. That's not what God uh, intended. That's the second surprising thing that Jesus told Hagar. There's one more surprising thing that Jesus told Hagar, the third thing. And we're going to see that. And that brings us to the third and the last thing I wanted to draw out for us from this passage. How God's grace is greater than our sin and failure. How God's grace is greater than our sin and failure. And here is the third surprising thing that Jesus told Hagar. Verse 9. The angel of the Lord, that is Jesus, said to her, you're not going to like this. He said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. If you're Hagar, this is not what you wanted to hear from Jesus. You're probably looking at Jesus, is this why you found me in the wilderness? Couldn't you have let me be? It's like your boss is giving, has been giving you a horrible time for a month and you fast and pray for a week and you're expecting a miracle in your career and Jesus shows up and he says go back to your boss and submit to her and you're like that's not why I fasted Jesus that's not why I prayed you don't like this answer very surprising thing But you know what's even more surprising than what Jesus told Hagar? there's something if what Jesus told Hagar, go back and submit to Sarah, if you find that surprising, there's something else happening in the passage that's even more surprising. And you know what's even more surprising? Hagar actually went back to Sarah and submitted to her. You see, in the end of the chapter, it's, it says Hagar gave birth, uh, gave birth to Abraham's son. She's, it's pretty obvious, and if you read the next few chapters of Genesis, it's pretty obvious that Hagar has gone back how could that be? And when, I, when I saw this, it blew my mind. How could this be? How could a woman, how could a pregnant woman who was tortured and had to flee find the faith to go back to Sarah? To go back to the very woman who abused her? How did Hagar find the strength? How did Hagar find it in her to forgive Sarah and to go back to her and to submit to her. H- how is that even possible? There are two parts. There's a two-part answer to the question. And the first part of the answer is obvious and the second part is not so obvious. The first part of the answer is, is pretty simple. Hagar was able to go back because she saw Jesus. Seeing Jesus, seeing the angel of the Lord, seeing Jesus was enough to give her the strength to go back to Sarah and submit to her. The encounter with Jesus transformed Hagar. Hagar saw the same Jesus who would one day endure the greatest suffering ever, death. On the cross, Hagar saw the suffering savior, Jesus. When Hagar saw Jesus, the God who would suffer death on the cross for the eternal blessing of others, in Jesus, Hagar found strength to endure the suffering she had to endure. Seeing Jesus strengthened Hagar to endure suffering. But there is more. There's something else that's not so obvious. Hagar was the first person in the Bible to give God a name. Did you know that? She was the first person in the Bible to give God a name. And do you know what is the name that Hagar gave her? What is the name that Hagar gave God? We read that in this chapter. Verse 13, look at verse 13. So Hagar called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing, El Roy. You are a God of seeing, she said. Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Hagar named God in that place. Hagar named God El Roy, which means God who sees me the God who sees me. You know, there was a time in Hagar's life where Sarah saw Hagar. Abraham, if you read Genesis, had hundreds of servants, men and women. Hundreds of servants. Among all the servants, Sarah saw Hagar when she chose Hagar to sleep with her husband and have a child through her. Sarah saw Hagar, but Hagar did not feel seen by Sarah. She just felt used and abused. It was not just Sarah. Abraham also saw Hagar. Of course, Abraham saw Hagar. He slept with her. But Hagar did not feel seen or loved by Abraham. She only felt used and discarded by Abraham. But Jesus, the angel of the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, saw Hagar, and Hagar felt seen by the God of the universe. You know, in the midst of, in the midst of suffering, you're going through turmoil and pain and, and hurt and suffering, In those times, we don't want advice from people. We don't want their help. In those times, we just want to be seen. We just want to be seen, and all we want is the empathy of our friends seeing us. That is what Hagar experienced. Jesus saw her. Jesus saw her suffering, and that was enough. Being seen by Jesus gave Hagar the strength to go back to Sarah. You know, it's not just Hagar seeing Jesus that strengthened her, but being seen by Jesus. Being seen by Jesus gave her the strength to go back to Sarah. You know, all her life, that is all Hagar ever wanted. She just wanted to be seen. That is it. That's all she ever wanted. No man or woman ever saw her, but she felt seen by Jesus. You know, Hagar was not the only forsaken woman who felt seen by Jesus. Thousands of years later, when Jesus walked the earth, The Samaritan woman, the woman who had five husbands and was now sleeping with a sixth man, this woman whom the entire town did not want to see, she felt seen by Jesus at the well that afternoon. The woman caught in the act of adultery, whom the entire town only wanted to stone to death, she felt seen by Jesus. That sinful woman, who was probably a prostitute, who came to the house of the Pharisee, who had invited Jesus home for dinner, that sinful woman, when she was anointing the feet of Jesus, who probably made this prostitute, who made all the other guests in that home uncomfortable, she felt seen by Jesus. You see, Hagar is not the only person who found the strength to live when she felt seen by Jesus. Countless of men and women, including many of us right here in this church, we have felt seen by Christ and we have found the strength to live. It is only in being seen by Jesus that we can find the strength to endure the hardships of this world. You know, there's there's another dimension to being seen by Jesus. Jesus not only saw Hagar's suffering, he also saw Hagar's sin. And yet, he loved her. That's the kind of how, that's how we want to be seen. And this applies to us too. Jesus not only sees your suffering, he sees your sin too. And yet, he loves you because he's paid for your suffering and mine on the cross. Jesus sees you. Jesus did not die on the cross in your place and mine and rise again from the dead to ignore us later. No, Jesus died in our place because he sees us. And because, and only because he died in our place and rose again from the dead, because he endured what we should have endured, because he suffered in our place, we can feel seen by Jesus. And we can see, we can feel seen by Jesus infinitely more clearly than Hagar could. Because you see, Hagar felt seen by the pre-incarnate Christ and she found the courage to live. But the Jesus we feel seen by is very different because the Jesus we feel seen by has been crucified in our place and risen from the dead. Hagar only saw the pre-incarnate Christ. We see the crucified Christ. And because we see Christ crucified in our place, we can feel infinitely more seen by Jesus than she ever did. You know, it's, it's so easy to remain unseen in a city like Mumbai. At work, so often all of our work and we ourselves can remain unseen. Even in church, if you're not the kind of person who mixes and mingles easily, even in church, you may remain unseen. Singles may feel unseen for years. And I can assure you, in marriage, there will be seasons. In every marriage, there will be seasons when you feel unseen by your very spouse. Children often feel unseen by busy parents. But always, always remember this. Jesus is Elroy. Roy. Jesus is the God who sees you. Let us pray. Father, we come to you, Lord, carrying for years, having carried for years the pain of remaining unseen. But today we know, Lord Jesus, and we worship you as El Roy, the God who sees us. Hagar's suffering is a balm of healing in our hearts this morning. We see Jesus this morning, Lord. We fix our eyes on Christ, our Savior. Holy Spirit, we thank you for not just knowing and understanding from your word, but we thank you by your Spirit in our hearts. We are experiencing this very moment, the reality and the beauty and the comfort of being seen by Jesus. For he is El Roy, the God who sees us. And the truth is we need nothing more, Lord. Christ is indeed enough for us. Thank you. Help every one of us, Lord, to be transformed by your love, just as Hagar is transformed by your love. Help us, Lord. Help us look to Jesus. Help us to always experience this reality of being seen
1: by Jesus. Thank you, Father.
0: In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.